In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures. And it's first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for our opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. Hey, what's going on? Greetings and good day. Welcome back to Birds All Day. My name is Drew Fair Service, and yes, we have more baseball-adjacent things to talk about than we have. The draft was this week, so we have lots of exciting baseball things to talk about, baseball-shaped things. People who have been or recently were playing baseball, we could talk about them. I'm excited. I know you're excited, and I know... That he is always excited, and he joins me as always. Uh, old reliable, old reliable, Mister Andrew Stoughton. Stoughton, how are you? I'm doing all right. I'm excited. Apparently, I well, it's exciting. It's the draft. Ordinary. It, it turned into like a really exciting, fun thing. Like I had absolutely no expectations for the draft, uh, and then that thing happened where the Blue Jays got the best player, even though they picked fifth. And uh, uh, you know, it was just it, it. It was just it's so weird. To for, for things to break right for the team that you follow, where that you know has been to the playoffs twice in the last twenty years, it, it's it was it was kind of a nice night, and especially in these trying times, uh, was just a little speck of of, of niceness. Uh, if you're you know if you're a Blue Jays fan, because that was it was uh, pretty cool. It was. I, I would say that I agree that one thing, especially because I don't do this full time anymore. I do this. I do. We do the show, and I have a great time doing it. But I also I feel like there is a, a um, no longer an expectation on myself internally, and maybe from the people who listen to this show, for me to pretend like I have any idea about these kids at all. So I'm just like, hey, whatever. And then I, I can, uh, I'm happy to rely on the expertise of those who may be more studied, may have seen them, may are maybe more closely following um, um, scouting reports and the like. And to me, it's a delight. I do want to say one thing real quick. As you mentioned in these trying times, um, while last week we did a like, quote unquote, a, a very special episode. And I know a lot of shows and podcasts uh, around did that. That doesn't mean this is over. It doesn't mean that we're going to pretend and ignore the stuff that's still going on, that the, the protests are continuing, that peaceful protests are continuing. So there's still lots of opportunities to, to put your money where your mouth is to support, uh, uh important organizations, um, in, in here in Canada, across, uh, you know, in, in the United States and around the world, uh, so supporting, uh, 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 black e- uh, legal action centers. If you're here in Toronto, uh, bail funds, water protectors, all that stuff, still super important. Let's keep the momentum. There's still been, there's so much um, important and valuable conversation going among people who need to have important and valuable and uncomfortable conversations. So hopefully 
we can keep it going. I'm thankful that we have baseball things to talk about so that we're not so much out over our skis as we end up doing whenever we talk about things that aren't baseball. But I do want to make sure that we, we, we mention that off the top and, uh, and just keep that momentum going and keep talking about it and keep taking action, not just talking about it and not just posting black squares on Instagram, whatever it might be. Uh, let's keep it going. Uh, we'll all be better for it. Sorry, Stone. I kind of hijacked that. I, I didn't. You didn't know that. No, I was gonna... <laughs> no, no. Very important things to say, and I, I stand behind your words. So, no, do not apologize. Uh, thank you to everybody who did listen last week. Everybody who had positive things to say. If you had negative things to say, you didn't share them with us. Um, but if you do, if there is, con- if you have criticism, constructive or otherwise, always um, accepting of that, as well as not needing someone else to do the work uh, for me. I can only speak for myself. Um, that I'm doing what I can um, in the ways that I can, in the ways that I know. So we're going to continue on, though, like I said, and we're going to talk about baseball. We're going to talk about the draft. And we have a special guest this week. We are joined this week by Nick Ashbourne, uh, formerly of Yahoo in Canada. Formerly, uh, you see him, you've read him on The Athletic, and you can probably read him more often now on Sportsnet. He is, uh, is uh, going to be our guy for the draft, and it was great. We had a great chat with, with Nick. So why don't we take a break? And then come back, and we'll talk about the draft, and we'll talk about so much more on this edition of Birds All Day. Nick, thanks for taking the time to join us. I'm glad to talk about baseball any time of day these days, even KBO if you want to slide it in. Uh, I was watching some KBO earlier this week, and I don't know. It, w- it, was, it was fine. But I don't know if we're going <laughs> to quite. It's good. It, you know, it's, yeah, fine is a good word for it. But, you know, the mascots are top-notch. You got cheerleaders kind of encouraging no fans to cheer, which is kind of haunting. Uh, and the NC Dinos are pretty cool. Well, you see, uh, as a Deuce on Bears diehard from time, mm, uh, when I'm tough. watching, I don't know who, I was watching, it was LG and uh, 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 SK Wyverns, I think. So it was like, a, I was, and it was late in the game, and then the game sort of got out of hand. So it became increasingly difficult to remain engaged with the game because my beloved Doosan Bears were not involved. I believe the defending KBO champion, Doosan Bears, if I. Uh... That is correct. Uh, yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, I feel that same way. When the dinos aren't on it, you know, it's hard for me to get up for it, you know, it being 5 30 in the morning. Uh, luckily, I, I was watching it on a replay, so the stakes were somehow even lower. They were lower <laughs> than zero. The stakes for the Blue Jays in the 2020 uh, what do they still call? It? They don't call it the Rule Four Draft, whatever the draft. The stakes it's are high draft. because the Blue Jays had a top five pick for the first time in quite a while, and with that pick, they selected Austin Martin, which uh, I believe he is not. I have I don't know for sure going to wear 55, but a lot of people are really excited about this pick. This was a guy who was looked at as uh, one of the better players in the, in the draft, and for him to slide down all the way to number five to the Blue Jays, hard not to be excited if you're if you're a member of the Blue Jays front office or you're a Blue Jays fan. Yeah, it's funny because going into the draft, you know, even as an observer of this, you think of all these different scenarios of who could possibly fall to the Blue Jays, and the idea of Austin Martin being a Blue Jay you know, didn't occur to me. It didn't occur to a lot of people because it seemed like even if the Orioles did something kind of funky, which they did, you know, somebody's going to snap this guy up. You know, multiple people think of this person, you know, at the Athletics' own Keith Law had him as the top prospect in the draft. I think he was number one for a couple people as well. So the idea of a prospect like this coming all the way down to five is something that you rarely see unless there's some kind of 
really tough injury concern, for example. Like that's how Anthony Rendon fell a few drafts back. But there aren't really those same kind of question marks with Martin other than what is his position. But even that you could think of as a feature rather than a bug if you want to spin it that way. So uh, it seems like the number one thing people really like about him is, yeah, what's his position? Uh, but to, the, to that, the, the pro side of that is that he's very athletic. Uh, he's kind of uh, maybe got a bit of a more slim, again, quote-unquote athletic build. Guy who's played all over the diamond. But it really comes down to uh, his ability to hit, ability to get on, get on base, and ability to put the bat on the ball. That seems to be like the thing that people are really, really excited about from a guy who's uh, you know, played at, at, some of the highest, at the highest level of, of college baseball for sure. Uh, is, yeah, that ability just to, to, to drive a lot of different kinds of pitches in a lot of different zones. Yeah, the bat's exciting because of the contact and the approach. That's really kind of what's plus or plus plus with him. He doesn't strike out a lot. He takes a lot of walks. He could be a sort of top-of-the-order type of guy. There is some power there, too, people are talking about. But when you talk about why are people excited about Austin Martin's bat, it's that he's not going to strike out. He's going to get on base. And the Blue Jays have a lot of those long swing, big power, arguably too many strikeout type of guys. So it's easy to imagine a fit for him in that lineup with uh, you know, a guy who's likely to get on base a ton. Now, given this is a college bat, is, is the, maybe the expectation or the hope, if you're the Blue Jays and, the Blue, and a Blue Jays fan, that he's going to be a kind of fast-moving player through whatever exists of the minor leagues now and then into, into next year. Yeah, I mean, whatever exists in the minor leagues now into next year is a, is a big issue. And that's part of the reason why it's nice to get your hands on a player who doesn't need as much development between now and being a contributor at the major league level. And he is someone who could come relatively quickly. This guy is born, I believe it is exactly a week after Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So he fits into sort of the same age bracket as some of the guys they already have. Does that mean he's ready to step in tomorrow? Probably not, but you could see him in, you know, 2022 being a factor. You know, even 2023 seems that would be a pretty pessimistic view of when he can contribute. So you should see him soon uh, if all things go well and there's no injury problems. So for the people who might not be familiar, who are just hearing, you know, heard his name or seen it around or might see it in the rundown for this episode, what is it about the defense that might give uh, you pause from putting him at the top of your board if you're if you're a Keith Law or someone like that, or if you're maybe the teams ahead of that picked ahead of the Blue Jays in the draft? What might have been the defensive uh, the thing that kind of gave people that 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 raised eyebrow uh, through the first few picks of the draft? Well, it's funny because he was announced as a shortstop, and that's a very classic Ross Atkins thing to do. <laughs> and if you ask Ross Atkins about someone ceiling, that is the easiest way to piss off Ross Atkins. And I've done it before <laughs> because he will tell you, I don't like to put a ceiling on anyone. You never know what someone can, can accomplish. But there's also, you know, let's be realistic. And when you're being realistic with Martin, sort of the question mark you say about his defense what's a question mark this guy's a good athlete well the question mark is his arm a little bit Mm -hmm. so is a guy with a question mark for an arm going to play shortstop at the big league level when you have Bo Bichette there that seems awfully unlikely so second base center field is an obvious organizational hole and somewhere he could potentially fit as someone with the wheels that he has he hasn't played a ton of center field he played a lot of third base yeah, at college and that's something that he could in theory do just because Vladimir Guerrero Jr. could be moving across but I think if the if you're the Blue Jays and you're looking at what's the best case scenario for him 
it would be imagining him as a guy who can play center field and play that position well. I feel like it's for most of fans, people who are watching the team, or, or if, especially if you're not really familiar with the idea of of the of organizational depth. So if they announce him as a, as a shortstop and they come into the spring and they're like, uh, you know, or when he's ready to go, and they're like, hey, let's see if he can play short. When you have all these different affiliates, you have nothing to lose by letting him play shortstop. Looking at the and 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 the fact that he didn't have a position, and you lose, you draft the player who has who is the best available, which was clearly Austin Martin. If you run him out there, you let him play shortstop. If he can a sur- over uh, surpass your your expectations, but then climb over all of the the organizational depth that they have, that's a huge win, right? If he if he suddenly is like I'm a better shortstop than Bo Bichette, than you know, or Elvis Martinez, all these other guys, that's amazing. If not, again, there's just so many more options um, um, to work with. I, I don't know. I, is, is do you think that's part of the philosophy? Like again, give him if if they're going to give him a shot to play short, and and again, just see what can happen. I think another aspect of it is too, I know when these picks come in, you hear a lot of comps thrown around and I heard, you know, Justin Turner for him in terms of offensively. Another one you heard is Ben Zobris and that's because of the positional versatility. So let's say he could play shortstop, even if you don't think he's as good a shortstop as Bo Bichette, you know, let's say in 2022, they're both in the lineup together and then Bichette gets injured for a couple months. You push him across or he needs a day off for whatever reason. This is a guy they could play with versatility-wise and have him be that guy who moves around to different positions even though his bat is elite because that keeps him in the lineup and lets them do things elsewhere in terms of platooning. So he could be a guy that learning to play shortstop at the highest level isn't something that he does day in, day out in an ideal situation, but he could be pressed into that duty or just do it on the odd day because he can't. And I I don't know I don't know if you got the same thing like I I'm so glad for the versatility aspect of it because uh, a ton of people on on uh, draft night on on Wednesday night were like oh can he play center field can he play center field like are kind of th- there's still the mindset of of a lot of people uh, that are are thinking about like oh they they got a draft for positional need which is you know obviously not really a thing that happens in baseball or nor should it. Um, but yeah, I found that kind of heartening that, that there is that possibility they can play center because, like you say, it is very obviously an organizational need, uh, and it just it just made it easier to be like, yeah, he can instead of confusing people by being like, well, why would they have like four middle infielders now? Like it it it, uh, it doesn't make sense to folks, uh, but perhaps it should. The idea. Yeah. Of- Go sorry. Go ahead, Nick. I was just going to say attitudes towards positional versatility have just changed so much in the last 10 or 15 years. It seems like before, if a guy played a bunch of positions, the assumption was he wasn't really good at any of them. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to find a home for a guy. And nowadays, a lot of teams, really good teams, have guys who deserve to be in the lineup every day, but they move that guy around depending on the needs of the rest of the team. And that's seen as a big asset. And it's easy to imagine Martin being one of these guys. Mm-hmm. And it's a decent way to trick a guy into staying motivated all the time. I feel like in, in, the, in the back of my head, like in a devious way, like like if you're the Astros and you're like, "Don't worry, Alex. You'll like if you keep working hard, you'll get the chance to play shortstop." Talk 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 now, Alex Bregman. Like maybe that's up there. Maybe we'll trade Carlos Correa. You keep working hard and you can play short. And with the Blue Jays, I, and I also Nick, even though I've only really only read his name, I don't stand for your or Elvis Martinez erasure. I think that uh, <laughs> this is the ascended shortstop. He's the one who's going to move Bobby Shet out of short. So we should we really got to give time 
Torres Martinez. But no, having four or three or two like big league caliber everyday shortstops is a good problem, not a bad one. And if you're on, because again, you see that in like people like, oh, get us a center fielder, fix the starting pitching. It's like on draft day, you're going to do that all at once. But it's very exciting. Now, we've talked about the top pick, but there are, the Blue Jays have made five selections. Uh, Real quick, I don't want to take too much of your time. Well, obviously, we'll spend the most the most amount of time on the most important of all the human beings that we know now, and that's Austin Martin. <laughs> uh, what do some of the other picks? They again only five this year. What do they have to to offer the organization, and what can we, uh, you know, high level? What can if I if I'm a fan, what can I? What do I need to know about maybe the second round pick? What's his name? C.J. Van Eyck. It's Cornelius Johannes, yeah, then, yeah. Like, if you, uh, <laughs> you want to go deep on it, which I think is a fantastic name. Uh, good Dutch content there. Uh, I think that the next three picks are all, they're all college right-handers. They're, I think at a certain point in the draft, you'll see this with their third and fourth pick, you get to the point where all these guys have a very similar description of, this is a guy who would be a good reliever, and maybe he can start, or maybe not. And that's like every college right-hander picked between <laughs> pick fifty and pick one hundred and thirty-eight. Mm. Like that's just it. You know, that's what the draft becomes once you run out of those guys you're confident can be a starter. Van Eyck is maybe a little bit ahead of that, where you're pretty you're pretty sure he can be a starter. Now anyone can flame out due to injuries or variety of reasons, but he's sort of a you know a four maybe pushing into mid-rotation. He's not a huge velocity guy. He's not that guy who's hitting, you know, 97, 98, more of his curveball and changeup. And, you know, he's a makeup guy. And I know that, you know, that the front office of the Blue Jays gets panned for being so mechanical, but they're actually the other way. They're super into makeup, probably, I would argue, too much. Uh, so it's not super surprising. He's a guy they looked at. He turns 22 this year, so he's someone who can move pretty quickly. Trent Palmer was the next pick. And again, that guy who could be a starter, could be a reliever. Keith Law described as analytics darling. There's some concerns about his physique. So when I heard analytics darling, concerns about physique, could be a starter, could be a reliever, it reminded me of Trent Thornton. But that could be a wildly off uh, comp. We'll see. And then the last guy, Frasso, is a little bit higher velocity, 97, more reliever risk. So they loaded up on these college arms that you know they're going to be able to sign, and you could see relatively quickly whether it's a starter or a lever. And I think that you know Van Eyck would be the guy to dream on there, but dream on him as a four, not as a future ace. I wonder what that what that means maybe for like a, a bigger picture or uh, or um, uh, you know, down the road, if they they've kind of got some more some safer guys, you know, college pitchers, you know, not huge, maybe not huge upside guys, maybe not difficult signs. Uh, are we going to maybe see them give some more money to to somebody else? Maybe even uh, Austin Martin. It's conceivable our guy Martin gets a little bit more money. Uh, you know, he's a Boris guy, and he expected to go a fair bit higher. Like you said, none of these guys, in theory, should be super difficult signs, but. You know, in a lot of drafts, I would argue for that kind of swing for the fences, take the high, the high school athlete. But in this one, you know, there's a lot more uncertainty. So I can understand people. And there's no ability to take those shots later in the draft. When you only have five picks, I understand trying to get a package where you're a little bit more sure what you've got. And these guys also fit in age-wise, like I said, with Martin, with the guys they've got coming, the Bichette and the Guerrero and that sort of cohort 
you add this, these guys to that cohort and it fits nicely as opposed to them being sort of a quote unquote second wave after the guys we already have cracking the big leagues last year. The future is now. Nick Ashburn, you heard it here first on, uh, on Birds All Day. They're, uh, they're making a run at it. Is that what, I mean, it's logical from, from a lot of different perspectives. One, from the risk aversion uh, perspective, but also like a lot of the foods on the table these days, especially when they've signed um, Genjin Ryu and uh, there's no need to wait, I guess. It's kind of, uh, the, maybe is this is just the urgency that, may, that fans or, or a lot of people have been hoping to see from the front office. I think there's something there. I kind of describe the Blue Jays right now as building as opposed to rebuilding. Mm. You could see something happen with Ken Giles, but the reality is they're not looking to ship people out anymore. They're looking to bring people in. And when you have a draft that's focused on guys who are close to the major leagues, that kind of fits with the idea that, you know, the future is now maybe a little bit of a stretch. But this team does see itself making some noise in the near future. And that is, you know, it's a pretty mellow statement. Again, I don't like to be too Atkins-like. But, you know, it's not a team that sees it. You know, this isn't the Baltimore Orioles. This is not a team that sees themselves maybe competing in six years. And we can talk about the Orioles draft because it's kind of hilarious. But, uh, <laughs> but this is a team that sees itself doing something in the next – and in a shortened season, they might even catch a few breaks and do something – in 2020 if 2020 happens but this is a team that sees its window very clearly as opposed to far away in the distance now we you mentioned the orioles draft and, and it being hilarious and i that i think is a topic we could we can entertain uh but do you what do you say to the the idea that you know michael Elias was with houston they went off you know off the board quote unquote like when they when they took korea 1-1 uh which ended up being a really good pick for them i think they got mccullers later in that draft and uh and somebody else uh, and, and are they running that same sort of playbook here? Is there, is there any way that that uh, that in a few years they look that much smarter for it? I I, I just say no, and we'll all uh, we'll all <laughs> applaud and, and go our merry way. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you quickly. I know we don't want to go deep dive on the Baltimore Orioles draft. I'm going to say probably not because what happened is they get they get Kirstad at at two, who people rank sort of you know seven to eleven, and people say okay they're sent they're saving money they're saving money. Who are they going to get? And then they took college players with their mm -hmm. next three picks, and so you're waiting for the shoe to drop, and it never happens. And every pick they made according to MLB Pipeline is a pick you know at a rank lower than their pick so in theory not a good value but you know let's you know those guys are all decent prospects none of them were totally off the board and then they get a couple of high school guys in four and five but again these are guys ranked you know a hundred or later so it's not like they had this amazing high school kid that they're going to throw the money at they have a couple of upside guys at the end and it could work out for them but I think when they made that Kirstead pick you assumed that like I said, the shoe is going to drop somewhere and they're going to get an amazing value somewhere else down the line. And they might have got some kind, couple of kind of intriguing values as opposed to anything super exciting. Mm -hmm. I think they'll likely regret passing on Austin Martin. I think it's very exciting to see the <laughs> Orioles fail in new and exuberant ways. We've seen them try to go the traditional route and they drafted high, you know, high ceiling, good players, screwed them all up. Now they're trying to get cute, <laughs> and they're going to screw them up too. I can't wait. I can't wait to see it happen. Nick, thank you so much for taking the time. I can't wait to see what you're going to write about the, about the Blue Jays draft. 
and uh, and continue to see how uh, we get maybe get closer to baseball. We'll see you writing more and more out there again if it's on Sportsnet here in the Athletic anywhere. Where can the people find your uh, you maybe on social media, for example? You can find me on Twitter at Nick Ashbourne, and I don't do any other social media because I'm extremely old man for my age. <laughs> these are facts. These are these are true big facts. We did a we united a panel before. And uh, you were uh, you were exciting. You carried the panel. I was only the host, actually, so I should have been doing more hosting and less uh, bickering with you. But it was great. We had a good time. Did we not? Do you remember that? We, we had a good time. I do remember that. I appreciate you telling me that I carried it. I don't know if that's strictly speaking true, but uh, I'll take it. <laughs> All right, everybody. Nick Ashburn, thanks again. Draft time is exciting. It can be fun. Like you said, A, you know, the Blue Jays haven't drafted this high in quite a while. Uh, B, they haven't, they, it's unrare when you're drafting even in the fifth pick that you're going to be able to pick up a player that many are consider, may, may have considered or thought could have reached, uh, to be the top pick in the draft, the top player in the draft. So there's that added extra excitement, but also it's just like draft time. So it's, it's, it is exactly what we need right now in that it is the, peak of clinging to trivial bullshit and i could not be more excited about it <laughs> the the blue jays fourth round pick nick frasso video of him dunking a basketball hell yeah could not get yeah. enough just feed him to me <laughs> just one after the other look at him getting up there through the legs hammer it down awesome it's all a, day <laughs> it's like we've got we've got new characters to our little soap opera that we follow right like it's uh, it's exciting times the uh, the 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 stranger has sort of peeked through the door, and you're like, "Oh man, where's this going to go next?" <laughs> but that is again because it is the draft, so we got to hear lots of like buzzy words like athletic, uh, which is uh, well, athletic of course is the name of the the platform upon which we are broadcasting. Now watch this transition. The athletic, you know, you're hearing lots of players being described as athletic, and you, of course, can listen to Birds All Day every week on The Athletic. And if you haven't subscribed already to Birds All Day, let me tell you, head over to theathletic.com slash birdsallday. Sign up. You get 40% off for the year if you subscribe, which is awesome. You can get so much draft content. You can get all of Keith Law's post-draft stuff. Uh, you can get all of his co- uh, content stuff as he'll, I'm sure, you know, look and figure out how these all these drafted players fit into uh, uh, the organizations that selected them, including the Blue Jays, who I believe we'll keep, we'll, we'll get to this, that in a minute. Keith Law has a had some interesting things to say about the Blue Jays' uh, uh, top selection. Now, athletic, big, big body, bad body, whatever it is, give me all the draft buzzwords when it relates to the guys that the Blue Jays picked. Nick Frasso, freak, freak athlete, was the guy that shared the dunk video, freak. Uh, Trent, Trent, Trent Palmer, uh, concerns about his athleticism. See, you, you hear concerns, and all I think is a thick boy who's here to save the day. Uh, because Jerry Weinstein, I don't know if you follow Jerry Weinstein on, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jerry Weinstein is a great follow, if you're, especially if you're into catcher stuff. He does lots of breakdowns of catcher, catcher defense. He works for the Rockies or had worked for the Rockies for a long time. Um, he does a lot of stuff on the Cape, I think, as well. So he had some really cool things to say about Trent Palmer, saying that he was excellent in the Cape in the summer. He's a low-maintenance tough guy who was very athletic for a big-bodied pitcher. Outstanding teammate. Sold. 
into it. So, oh, and also, I don't know, if, Drew, I don't know if you saw the, the retweet that I, I did of his. He spoke to a Jacksonville radio station last week. Mm-hmm. He's from Minnesota, talked about, you know, his disgust at George Floyd's death, at the the uh, the, the murder at the hands of police, uh, talked about his response to it, was, was quite heartfelt, and uh, yeah. Into into Trent Palmer. Let's let's go. Let's go. Our our thick boy. Let's let's make this happen. Look, look. We didn't talk. They didn't talk about it last year. But Alec Manoa. He's that's a big that's a big lad as well. That is that is a whole bunch of lad. So just going to be big ass dudes wandering around. So the Trent Palmer <laughs> throws ninety eight, and then again in, in a very much a, a a picture of the modern world. Instead of getting any kind of velocity on his on his slider, you get his RPM twenty nine hundred RPM on the slider. I assume that to be very good. Because it was mentioned in a positive way, <laughs> rolling with it. Yeah, I think if you're around three thousand, that's uh, that's considered quite good. Um, yeah, no, I, I, you know, Palmer. You, I think Keith was maybe a little less hot on him than some of the other, you know, scouting reports I see. As you know, as is just the nature of that of that business or that aspect of the industry. Um, yeah, so some really good reports on Palmer. I'll be writing about. The day two picks for the Blue Jays. Uh, I think that's going to be out on Saturday, but uh, perhaps Friday. Depends on you know. <laughs> depends on how well this goes, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, there will definitely be video uh, videos of a prospect dunking and quotes about uh, about the disastrous fucking police situation in the United States and uh, 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 all sorts of other tidbits that uh, that I could find. I, I actually found that. Uh, our, our friend Cornelius uh, Van Eck, uh, CJ, as the kids call him, uh, the Jays' number two pick. Uh, he seemed just he he just seemed like very polished, very like uh, not you know not like he was a veteran champion uh, uh, media savvy kind of guy, but but just someone who was like really. Uh, I'm trying to put this delicately. There, there wasn't a lot more than baseball to to find out about him. It seems like he's a he's a guy who might eat, just eat, sleep, uh, and, and dream baseball, and that's all that he really is about. Which you know, that is uh, that is that is probably a recipe for success in the career that he's uh, that he's embarking on, and kind of uh, not uncommon, I think, in the you know the way that college and high school athletes are just basically professionalized at younger and younger ages. Uh, but that was that was something that struck me just sort of listening to interviews with him. I think he talked about going fishing and and hunting and stuff like that. So he'll fit right in. Um, but yeah, it was certainly it was certainly some of the picks after him that I felt were uh, uh, the real characters of the of the lot. Sometimes you know you draft a baseball sociopath and you it, it works out well for you. Other times you know <laughs> it just means a really really long and hard road down. But. Okay, on that bright note. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, no, you know what? Let's talk real quick. Actually, let's not, let's not let's talk. We talked about Keith Law. We're talking here about uh, Austin Martin. Let's let Keith Law talk about our Austin Martin. He was on... White Sox, White Sox business. White Sox business. White Sox business. Keith Law on Austin Martin. I can't get over... I'm not the only person who thought Austin Martin was the best player in the class. I knew several scouts who agreed. And I think the data kind of support it. 
when you look at the fact that he played in a better conference than Spencer Torkelson, Spencer Torkelson was second. It's not like I think he's a bad prospect. But Martin faced better competition, plays a skill position, strikes out way less, still makes a ton of hard contact, still gets on base. I'm taking that guy over Torkelson every day. And the fact that he got to the fifth pick, I have a feeling it's because he was insisting on full slot wherever he was taken. Good for him. But that's the Blue Jays' benefit. And they got to be over the moon. They just got their new number one prospect. And, and I really think pretty clearly got the best player in the draft class. So there's no small amount of things to chew on there. I would recommend, mm-hmm. of course, you go listen to the White Sox Business Podcast. Listen to all everything that Keith has to say. But th- what's the thing that jumped out at you from that clip? I, I think it might be the same thing. But you tell me what you heard. Yeah, well, I, I, uh, the fact that they, he called him their number one prospect, I think, is is notable. Uh, though, though, could just you know be Keith assuming Nate Pearson is already a big leaguer or forgetting that Nate Pearson is there because I mean he's like a top ten, top fifteen guy. Uh, I'm not sure Martin is that. I looked at the Fangraphs. Uh, Fangraphs, I think, already has like the, their their draft board guys. They've slotted them into the pl- the, the top 100, I think, already. Mm. Uh, and I think he was. I think he was like in the top 50, like like in the 50 range, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know that. I, I don't. Nonetheless, this is all wonderful and good, and everything Keith said was. Uh, uh, you know, just frame it and put it on your damn wall. And I also, I, you know, his, his stream last night was excellent. Uh, so much better than, uh, than anyone on, on MLB network, except for, uh, uh, for Callis and, and, uh, Jonathan Mayo. Those guys are, those guys do great work. And then the rest of the broadcast was maybe not, maybe not great. Uh, it's hard. Those like big league, big league guys who watch big league games or, or play and uh, who played in the big leagues. They're kind of miscast, I think, as like prospect gurus and having to just regurgitate. I mean, who who among us? I who mean, we as are we <laughs> exactly. But, but, but I mean, we come on, we do a, we talk about it for forty five minutes, and then we do stay some socialist shit, and swear, and then we leave. But like, they <laughs> have to do stand on there with like makeup and on TV, and have to sound intelligent, which is a, I mean, it's a different ball game. Not not easy, as we both know from our. Our days many years ago at a TV network, as I recall. We, uh, we but did yeah, do no. That. So so Keith was Keith was you know there was a lot of wows when uh, when Martin ended up sliding to the Jays. Uh, yeah, I think he said you know you just you can't throw you can't throw the ball past him. I think he struck out twice in uh, in sixty nine plate appearances uh, in the the abbreviated season that he did have at Vanderbilt this year. Uh, obligatory nice comment. Um, <laughs> But but yeah, like he wa- he 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 uh, uh, he walks more than he strikes out, which you know college numbers are what they are. But uh, you love to see it. You do love to see it. You love to see. I think we talked about this a little bit before. You love to see a bit of a different kind of approach, a different type of player um, than maybe what is more common among the current crop of Blue Jays, prospect or otherwise. Um, although, you know, the best prospect or the former top prospect was not a guy who struck out a lot. So, I mean, it's great. I think that, that, that Nick said it and everyone who's been watching the draft and nobody expected this player to be available to the Blue Jays at, uh, at number five, which, and it doesn't seem as though it's even due to an injury or anything. Now, there, I mean, there was the throw, the throwing thing was maybe scared some teams off a Perhaps you know if 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 you thought that his because he was he was apparently laboring a bit with his throws this year, uh, and they moved him off third base. He played some center field, and uh, Keith seemed 
rather unconcerned about that, uh, but did sort of hold it up, I think, during his stream uh, and maybe also during his podcast about it. Or, uh, so I've, I've listened to him quite a bit uh, recently because, as as we've discussed, we are no draft experts. We're just sort of uh, aggregating in our brains the content that we've consumed about it. Uh, but yeah, that that may have had a have been a factor. But as he said in the clip that we just heard, uh, he suspected it was more about him looking for slot money and uh, and other teams being like unwilling to do it. It it's almost the fucked up thing is, it's almost like these stupid competitive balance picks that are just such trash. The St. Louis Cardinals get a, a competitive balance pick, and what in what world does that make sense? Uh, may have worked in the Blue Jays' favor here uh, because a bunch of the teams ahead of them had those extra picks in like the what we used to call the sandwich round. Uh, so we're maybe we're a little more concerned about how they were going to allocate their funds, whereas the Jays were just obviously happy to be like, "Well, we'll punt on the rest of our whole damn draft if we can get this guy." So uh, uh, you know, credit to them, I guess, for. Uh, <laughs> for for bashing on that mole when it when it popped up out of the <laughs> out of the video game. There's thing. definitely yeah. something to be said for not trying to get too cute, especially at the very top of an already short draft. Just pick the best player. To me, that it just seems so simple. And as we talked about with Nick about about the differences in, in organizational depth and understanding not necessarily what your organization needs, but how how all those things tend to like sort themselves out over time. That a good player is going to be a good player, and if you get to if you get to the point where you've got two guys who could play shortstop every day in the big leagues, um, not the worst problem to have. And and again, having too many good players is not a problem. To, not a bad problem to have. Such that you know if if you get if you have a gift that lands in your lap, you just pick it, just pick him and run. Uh, and I don't know. This is not a fair comp, and it's not even a comp. But the situation that I'm that's come to mind a few times here is Anthony Rendon with the Nationals, right? Rendon sort of fell to the Nationals. They were like, "Oh well, guess we're taking this really, really good college player," <laughs> who then became like a really good big league player, and now signed like a humongous thirty million dollar a year contract to play for the Angels. Man, all that oh, stuff seemed like it ha- because it did, and because it happened so long ago. I was thinking, trying to th- figure out. Somebody asked me about why the Blue Jays didn't get a comp pick. He, uh, this this guy on Twitter was kind of confused about those competitive balance picks you talked about, and I st- I was like racking my brain, being like, "Do they get a comp pick? What what is he talking about? Did wait? Did they lose a pick for signing Hyunjin Ryu? So I had to like look it up. Like they didn't lose a pick for signing Hyunjin Ryu because he already accepted a qualifying offer, so he was mm-hmm. free and clear. As, as I refreshed my memory, that's right, right? I'm not. Talking out of my ass. That that is correct. No, the, uh, but the the comp picks, mostly the comp picks go to to the quote unquote small market teams, and I guess you you know St. Louis is not well, a uh, you know the owner is it, is not a is not an enormous metropolis compared to you know some of the Toronto should be viewed as a big market team, even though the owners of the team in Toronto don't necessarily always view it that way. Uh, but still, well, the owner of the, of the Cardinals will be the first one to tell you the baseball. Yeah. It's, it's not a profitable. Not a profitable yeah, business. Yeah. So, <laughs> who uh, I believe that was their chairman. I don't know. The, I don't know that he was. Dewitt. I thought Dewitt was the owner. Uh, whoever. Is Dewitt the owner? Some goofy well, suit. The chair, maybe the chairman. Maybe the chairman is the owner. Yeah, and also I think like his him and his dad would been involved in like five different teams. Like they keep getting into the industry that is obviously not very profitable. That's the thing that the that the the billionaires do. 
they get into they get into they keep making all these uh, bad keep, deals. It's a, it's remarkable that they're that they're so incredibly wealthy. We just keep shoveling keep money into bad. this into this kiln, <laughs> right into this fire. But yeah. God, don't we just love the game so much? We love the business that can't help ourselves. Yeah. We just don't know <laughs> yeah. when to say when. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, take the best player, pick them, let them play this position. If you can't do that one, move it down. Uh, if they're if the other teams above the Blue Jays. Um, other than um, the Tigers, uh, again, we spoke briefly about the Orioles. If the Orioles are are playing jazz out here and and just using some wacky time signatures and just going off, uh, do that. You know, do your do your thing. And then the Marlins are the Marlins. <laughs> there was there was a story. I don't know. I can't remember who had it. Somebody was saying that one of the teams in the top ten might have been R.J. Anderson from uh, from CBS and formerly Baseball Prospectus, who was saying that one of the teams in the top ten is going to punt their whole draft because they're trying yeah, to save money. I heard that. Yeah. yeah. Which. Um, uh, I think a lot of people assumed immediately it was it might have been the the Marlins. Uh, someone else said it could have been the Angels who had the tenth pick. Who cares? The important yeah. thing is uh, this Aston Austin Martin person <laughs> is now a Blue Jay. Yeah, you got, you got immediately our favorite player. Correctly, yeah. Uh, again, maybe maybe he's not the top prospect in the system, as Keith said. Again, it depends. Maybe what you think about Nate Pearson, but that is that's or, that or should whether, be. I mean, hmm? sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Or, or whether Nate Pearson is a big leaguer or not. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. Pretty much, you know, he's he he'll be a big leaguer ten days into whenever the damn season starts. So I think that's the whole point, though. When you have a high, high pick, you shoot for the moon. Pick the guy that's gonna be your best prospect. If he's not, <laughs> if you have the first pick and and the draft and and the the kid you pick is 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 not better than sixty or uh, uh, whatever scrubs you've got running around in uh, in in low A ball, well then you fucked up. Just pick the best kids you can and <laughs> ride them all the way to the big leagues. It is. I mean, it's so. I mean, the perspective on this has shifted. I think for us, for 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 Toronto fans, in light of this pick happening, like it's like going into the draft it was just it was as usual. Uh, especially now that I do not, I've mentioned aggregation of content in our brains, or you know, now that I don't really have to do that, like on a website, I, I, it's so much easier to check out because I. Obviously, none of us can pretend that we're draft experts, and it, 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 it's, it's quite distasteful and and quite obvious. But but you know, we kind of went in with just low expectations, kind of like oh yeah, it's the fucking draft. They'll get a they'll get a, a guy who might be good or something. And now now it's like I'm thinking, you know, if this was a Baltimore Orioles podcast, you know. Good lord! First of all, but like we would be like we'd be like pounding the desk, like just livid about this. I think there's absolutely like no just, way that would happen. Just for the record, because <laughs> what we would do is I and I I would be shocked if the Orioles contingent uh, of the what if there's an Orioles podcast here on the Athletic, I you'll forgive me if I don't know the name. Um, if not, probably for good reason. But you talk yourself into it. Be like, oh, no, our, our guy's got a plan. <laughs> this, this tall, four-headed analytics bro that they brought in from the, from the Astros, he's the good one in Houston. He was the mastermind <laughs> behind all of this good stuff, none of the bad. Uh, he's got a plan. What they're going to do is going to be special. So just you watch. They let that, they let that, that, uh, that tall, contact-heavy college bat go because it was haunted. They, they, they said they cursed it to Canada, <laughs> of all places. But anyway, you know, as as someone who wrote extensively about JP Ricciardi and his uh, his time with the Blue Jays this week, I I, I feel and who lived that era, uh, you might be onto something there with with like the Stockholm syndrome and fans 
just like completely being like, oh no, 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 no. They they got this. They got this thing down. They, the system, yeah. man. J- JP JP's gonna beat the system. Trust more. the process. Like the Sixers have been saying, trust the process, and that they can't draft anybody who can shoot. Like trust the process. The guys who can't shoot, they're the new inefficiency. Now, you mentioned Nate Pearson. You said within ten days of whenever the season starts, he'll be up. I guess the follow up question to that, if there is one, is: Is the season going to start? Start. I don't know if you've got your finger on the labor pulse these days, but uh, doesn't seem like there's a lot of movement. There are offers going back and forth. They don't seem to be. There doesn't seem to be a great deal of movement between these two sides on this issue of of uh, of the pro rata of the of the percentages of of, of games being played. And uh, you know, there was some talk about the owners had their initial. Pro- basically, it was by saying X number of games at X percentage meant that their players would get, be end up getting thirty one percent of their of their of their actual contract value. And now what? Now the next offer was thirty three percent or something. So maybe there's a little bit of movement. I don't know. The, the clock's ticking though, right? Like this is we're going to be in the middle of June almost by the time this thing comes out. <laughs> it is. It yeah. If they want to have a season, uh, they they got to get their shit together. They got to get in gear. But I I don't know. Like uh, Manfred, I think we, I forget who he spoke to. Uh, I think he spoke to ESPN. Very confident and just was. You know, without hesitation, like 100, percent he believes there's going to be a season. I think that they're, you know, I never, never good to start a sentence with like I think that because I obviously, you know, I'm not staring at the document or what or whatever right now. But like I believe that there is like the the that they can go forward under some of the uh, under sort of the guidelines of the agreement that they had in March. Uh, they're just sort of. I think that there's a way that the league could just they'll just play and it won't be ideal for anyone, uh, which might end up happening. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, it, it, it. I mean, it hasn't changed since last week or the week before or the week before when we've been talking about this, and it's it's frustrating. But it's also like uh, it, it's it's heartening. I think I called something else heartening earlier. But uh, but but that I I think that that people and we talked about this in previous weeks like the people do seem to be seeing through what the owners are attempting to do uh, in the way that they're you know the 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 PR game that they're playing and trying to uh, like that attempt to to make it all about oh the greedy players don't want to bring baseball back to the beleaguered nation like I don't think that narrative is gaining the kind of traction the owners had hoped uh, which is good uh, but. It also means that we're no closer to having baseball happen, which uh, which is bad, uh, unless you consider the fact that you know there's going to be a huge goddamn wave of pandemic coming back, uh, probably real soon, and that could that could just put a wrench in every league's plans, not just baseballs. You're absolutely right. There there are still so many unanswered questions as it relates to. The upcoming second wave of of uh, of COVID nineteen. Uh, we haven't even ended the first wave, as we were talking on air about uh, the number of cases that hap- that were uh, in, in Los Angeles County today was like oh, eighteen hundred new cases. Like things aren't going aren't going in the right direction. Um, but there's been so much going on. There's, and again, the the draft has done a good job of distracting us from that. 
um, but we're, we can't act as though there's nothing going on. It's, it's still going to be, um, it's still going to be empty stadiums when they eventually do get to play. It's still going to be a logistical uh, nightmare. There are still players, people asking questions. I saw Aaron Dolan, uh, 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 Sean Doolittle's uh, partner talking about this, that people saying like, ah, I don't have a lot of sympathy for the millionaires. And, and her point was like, so many of these people aren't millionaires. The families aren't millionaires. Uh, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the support staff, their families aren't millionaires, but there are that many people who are, who are being put at risk. And then there was a, a, something I saw also recently about the NBA is kind of committed to, move, to staying in like Orlando, I guess they're going to be in one central location and anybody that goes there reporters or who anyone covering the games is basically committing to be there for three and a half months. They're going to have to get locked down in Orlando, Florida. And, on purpose. and the fucked up thing is that they're, you know, we're talking, you know, the places that we were talking about a month ago or even two weeks ago, as being, you know, sort of less active in terms of, you know, that's all changing, right? Like, look, at I think there, there's a, there were 1,500 new cases in Arizona this week. Uh, at the end of May, I'm just looking at the New York Times website, right? At the end of May, it was like 200. You know, they're, like they, that is, it is going up rapidly in a place where, you know, when it was first sort of floated, the idea that, that oh, yeah, baseball can come back. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll have some sort of Thunderdome in, in, in Arizona or whatever. Uh you know that that's now looking like maybe not the best place to go. You know, Texas uh, is a place that, where where the the numbers continue to go up, and and this is something that uh, probably hasn't been reckoned with enough in the in the talk about. Well, the thing that you know, the, the thing the, that the push to I'm thinking about too is, and if you keep all these people in one place at one time, from what I've seen, what I've read, is that the best way to get it is to have like long continued exposure while something like the subway or the bus where you get on and you ride for 30 minutes or so and you get off even though there's a lot of people in there that brief exposure is less risky from again this is some of that stuff that i've sort of read and cobbled together than you compare it to the people who get sick at work right to people who get sick in healthcare or the people who get sick in all these mm-hmm. meat packing and like fruit packing places where you're standing there shoulder to shoulder or doing whatever for eight hours those are the people who are getting sick so what does that mean for the people who are clubbies or, or uh, you know, doing all that, those sorts of jobs around the game? Not just players who, who – and again, players work long days, right? Players who are, who are often described as creatures of habit. They don't just breeze in and pull their uniform on and then, and then hit the field, which maybe that's going to have to be the, the, the thing that happens here. They're going to be locked in their hotels. They, they get, they stretch. They do all as much as they can at the hotel on their own. And then they just show up at the ballpark and play and then get the hell out of there. Um, you know, because this extended exposure is the thing that I think increases the risk that much more. So we'll have to see. There's so many other things. Again, there's so many other sports that are trying to grind back to life. Um, you know, around the world, the Bundesliga is one example. And, you know, obviously we talked about the KBO where people are in Korea playing baseball, but like they've had, they're having another bit of a resurgence in Seoul, um, with, with cases with people getting it. And, and because it doesn't take that much. It doesn't take that much. And, and, and while there's so many efforts, so many, all these, the things that we call restrictions or the, the, the measures that are put in place, if it's masks and physical distancing and, and washing your hands as often as you can and not touching stuff. And, um, you know, those are measures to keep that infection rate down low, but it's, 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 it's it takes all everybody. We, we all need to work together to do it. And, um, it just remains to be seen how they can either just 
blast their way through this, which sounds like that's what they love to do. Just keep on yeah, going gonna, and like they're gonna tweet tweet through. Yeah, it. just yeah. tweet through collateral damage. People have fallen <laughs> all overboard, but you know this ship is oh, is sailed. Nice. We're at full steam ahead, and and if a couple of people fall overboard, well, we'll throw them a life jacket and hope that they're fine. So I don't know. It's uh, again, all these things are so complex, and um, and uh, I spoke before about now about speaking above our pay grade and I would just, uh, you know, selfishly, I wish that we could play baseball because then I could just be like, oh, the Orioles are stupid, eh? And then we, we do that for 45 minutes and we go, we call it a day. But now we can't. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's just about it. I don't know. I, you got anything else? Anything else? You, you, again, you got, you got a, an Anthopolis report card coming up. Is that my, my getting ahead of myself? Uh, a little bit. Cause yeah, I think I'm going to do Pat Gillick first. I think I'm mm. actually, uh, just because just instead of just making it like a straight, like, you know, I mean, Pat Gillick did a pretty good job there. It turns out in the end, but, but I think I'm going to separate it and, uh, and look at, and look from, uh, Early 1989, when Jimmy Williams got fired, look back because that was a really interesting moment, especially like going back through the newspaper archives and all the stuff, all the research I've been doing on these pieces, uh, which, by the way, I've been doing a ton of fucking research and shit on these pieces. Please read them. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Duly noted. But 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 like, no, I like he like he was it was his job was at least in, in the media's eyes was in jeopardy. And he was, you know, he. It's easy to sort of shorten the span of things that happened, but like from '85 to '89 is a long time, and the you know no playoffs in '86, collapse in '87, no playoffs in in '88, and then '89 started and looked like it was going to be a disaster as well, and he had to fire his manager, and that's you know Cito came in and 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 things turned around, and then the the big trade the next year, you know. but there was it, there was definitely there was definitely a moment where it's like maybe this isn't going the way that it ended up going, which I think is really interesting. And so I think I'm going to do like a two part Gillick retrospective where I kind of look at him at his worst moment at the low ebb, and then also obviously uh, two back to back World Series, pretty good. So that will obviously be, be on, the, on the other side. Pat Gillick, uh, venerated venerated uh, a figure uh, for good reason a man who, a man who knew when to get the hell out when the getting was he made. definitely would, could smell that shit coming a mile away every single incredible, time <laughs> incredible yeah which is a which is a hell of a skill which is a skill that i mean in the gord ashby that that's something that ash didn't have he was great at convincing gillican beeston that gord ash is the man for the job uh less great at being like hey that's weird pat and paul just sort of took off here and it's just me left i wonder i wonder if that suggests anything about what is about to happen which sounds like class whether the bottom is about to drop sounds like classic imposter syndrome to me you know you get a job you don't think you're qualified (laughs) for whether you're just going to walk away you keep it until they tell you you gotta leave come on (laughs) which um to his credit i uh one second one more thing before we go i do want to send a shout out to the uh the the there were fourteen hundred athletes signed a letter demanding Congress and uh, qualified immunity for law enforcement, which is a uh, a powerful um, uh, a statement for them to make. Uh, again, people trying to use their platform as best they can, trying to affect true institutional change. Uh, and I had spoken about it. Have there been any baseball players that have really spoken out? 
lots of guys signed signed this thing. Lots of ball players: Sean Carlos Stanton, Alex Bregman, CC Sabathia, Andrew uh, Andrew McCutcheon, Chris Archer. You might be noticing a theme here: uh, Jack Flaherty, Tim Anderson, Dexter Fowler, Delando Shields Jr., Matt Kemp, D. Gordon, JP JP Crawford, Cameron Maven. Again, there's a theme. But uh, so shout out to those guys for sticking their necks out and uh, and again trying to to leverage their 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 platform and trying to affect change uh where where it starts on an institutional level so uh so kudos to them hopefully that they can use their their not just their platform but maybe some of their money and to kind of maybe get a bit of a lobby going <laughs> i mean what the hell what else like that's what that, that shit talks a lot of these guys made a lot of money in their career i mean they're they're not billionaires by any stretch of the imagination but hopefully they can make they can collectively make some stuff happen with uh by playing playing the game the way that it's played unfortunately and it sucks to, to put that onus on them not to say that i am but that uh that that's it's it's not just going to get changed with 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 signatures so so hopefully that we can uh it's a start of something and again hopefully we can keep that stuff going keep that conversation going keep that introspection going and, and thinking about ways um that you can make a difference in the world that we all share because that's like, that's the whole point, right? We share this world. There's a th- thing that I've said a bunch of times, and I think about it every year. Around, it's always always around New Year's is that you're not the tree, you're a leaf. So take that with you. Maybe think about it a little bit, and then we'll talk to you next week on Birds All Day. Mm-hmm.